Thank you for joining me to a bonus episode of Full Metal RPG. I'm your host, Brennan Carrion, and today it is my very special privilege to be joined by indie developer Diogo Nogueira, and I think that, that we, we've been practicing me saying the name, and I don't know, I think I did kind of a shitty job, but I got him here on the Skype. We're talking about... Uh, we're going to talk about some OSR stuff because if you guys know uh, Diogo, and I hope that you do because he's very active on Instagram, he's very active on Facebook, and uh, Diogo's the kind of guy who's always out in front of stuff. Like I have learned about so many unique products from his recommendation, and so you need to you need to wire yourself into his world. He's the developer of an OSR. Uh, system called Sharp Swords and Sinister Spells. Diogo, welcome. Thanks, Brennan. Uh, hi, everybody. I'm I'm kind of active on Google Plus too, where most of the OSR OSR folks are active there. So I'm trying to make yeah, my uh, way on the OSR world over there. I'm, I started a English blog now because I'm I'm from Brazil and. I'm trying to get in the OSR community more and share more stuff, see what everybody's producing over there and trying to show what we are producing here in Brazil too. Yeah, and that's great, man. That's great because Brazil is kind of a hotbed of um role playing, right? It's like a it's like a big time activity down there, right? I wish I wish it was more. Like we 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 have some some indie developers here, some of them even won some indie RPG prizes like Game Chef or stuff like that. Although, yeah, yeah although these are more like a story game kind of games and they don't really speak much with, of the OSR here, but we're starting to build up the OSR community here in Brazil too, trying to get the OSR on conventions and stuff like that. Uh, Brazil has a more like indie story game, more focused community, but we are making the OSR appear more here now. Okay, that's interesting. I kind of want to return to that in just a second. Uh, f- to to kind of start, why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners like a little bit about yourself, like kind of like how you got into gaming and... Maybe like what some of your favorite games are. Okay. And then we'll uh, kind of get into some things like that. Okay. Well, uh, my name is Diogo Nogueira, as he said, and he spoke it better than most of people that try to speak my last name. I'm from Brazil. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I started playing, were playing games in the early 90s. I'm, I, I was born in 84, so... And role-playing games really started to come to Brazil in the 90s. Before that, it was most people that traveled outside and brought back games. But our first edition of Dungeons & Dragons was published, in, I think, in 91. And it was the... No, I think it was 94. 91 was our first Brazilian role-playing game, that's Stagma. That was my first role-playing game. And 94, they released the Black Box, the Challenger Box. And it went right to second edition after that. And my first role-playing games were, were uh, Dungeoneer, that's Advanced Fighting Fantasy, like the game books. And then I played Tagmar, which is a Brazilian fantasy role-playing game. And I played Dungeons and & Dragons, and I, then I went further to Advanced Dungeons & Dragons second edition. And I committed the silly mistake to sell all my Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Second Editions books to buy Third Edition <laughs> D D D and D. Oh no! Yeah. Oh no! Because I, I, back then I had the mentality: well, if it's newer, it's better. So I always were selling stuff to buy new stuff. 
And yeah, yeah. I think that's like a thing you kind of got to go through. I've done that so many times. It just, I, it just happens, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I played a lot of D and D third edition, D and D third edition three point five. I played GURPS and Storyteller and stuff. But when I tried to play Storyteller, like uh, World of Darkness, I read the books. I, I mostly was always the the GM, the the dungeon master, the storyteller. My players didn't read the books, so. I read all the books and was full of these ideas of more horror stories, more adult stuff. And all they did was they, they bought five points of uh, agility, five points of firearms, five points of resource, <laughs> and they just bought bazookas and RPGs and wanted to blow everything. So I, I gave up World of Darkness because it wasn't working. <laughs> <laughs> and I came back to D&D. And then I went to college, started studying and looking for jobs. So I, I take a, a break from, from playing games. And when I came back in like 2009, we had fourth editions in D. And I started making real money at jobs. So I bought everything. Everything I could get my hands on, I bought. And reading it, I really liked reading it. But once I started playing, it wasn't the game I remembered. It was like... I played for a full year and we couldn't finish three adventures in a whole year. And that made me look somewhere else. I was like, are people really playing that? What are they doing? And I find out, found, found out about the OSR. Uh, I found out about Labyrinth Lords and Dungeon Crawl Classics. That, that was about 2012. And I played one session of Labyrinth Lord in like in three hours, and we did so much stuff like combat, negotiation, role playing, exploring, all in three hours. And in that that same time you know, on day for tradition, we would just play one combat scene, and I, I thought to myself, <laughs> "Yeah, that's what I want. I, I want this again." And I started looking looking back uh, to the to the past editions that I never played. I looked to AD&D first edition. I loved to read the the books uh, written by Gary Gygax, the Dungeon Master Guide for first edition D&D. It's like a a masterpiece. It's really heavy reading. It's it's hard to read, but there's so much wisdom in there in those words, and I really like it. And I started searching to Dungeons and Dragons basics, Expert by Modvay Cook, original Dungeons and Dragons, and then I started reading the clones and everything people were doing and I, I, I found in love with it I found in love with the OSR because it's like we can take our game back to us it's it's our game we can do every anything we want with with it we can make our own interpretations of it we don't need to rely on some companies saying this is DD now this is how you play DD now this is your adventures you're going to play this is the setting we're going to play into no, we don't need it. We don't need that anymore. We can make our own stuff, and that's what I love about the OSR. Like, you can we can take what we want, throw out what we don't want, and, and make new stuff with the the strong bases that that was built like 30, 40 years ago. But we can uh, mix it up with new stuff and make a better game for ourselves without relying on some of, someone else saying that this is the game we play now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I really I really respond to that myself because I mean, I kind of came into role playing like at a similar age, similar time, and for like 10, 15 years, maybe more, geez, of my of my life, I just felt like I was kind of being led around by my nose, like being told, "Okay, this is the setting. This is how you do power balance." You know, the, the, these are the central sort of contrivances of the game. <clears throat> and what's what's so great about the new kind of aesthetic is that we're just pushing past all that. And we're finding guys like yourself and uh, like the guys who do like the Undercroft and uh, Vacant Ritual Assembly. Yeah. And just people just making their own stuff and putting it out. Wormskin. I think Wormskin's for Labyrinth Lord, right? Yeah. That's a Labyrinth Lord magazine. Yeah, I love this so it was, zine culture. Like people just make stuff at home. They they print it at their own printer and they staple it and send it through the mail, and it's it brings the community together. Like 
no other games ha have done before, at least to my knowledge. Like I, I've never seen like the DCC RPG community, which like my favorite RPG ever. Like DCC RPG, they 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 make the community so so important to the game that we, we, we feel like we're a part of it. We are not just consumers consuming what they're producing. They give us things to produce and the, 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 the core book of the game say, no, this we won't provide to you. This is what you have to create. And people create and share stuff and show to each other what we're doing, what we can create together. And every year at Gen Con, they have the Gonk Farmer's Almanac. That's like eight volumes of uh, 60 or 80 pages in is made by the community and distributed freely by the community for the community. It's like, I've never seen this before. This is, really fascinates me. Now, so you you started on OSR Games with Labyrinth Lord. Was that the first one that you did? Yeah. When you kind of came back, you came into it? OSR game I played was Labyrinth Lord. Um, and then how did you find DCC from there? Like what 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 happened to get you into DCC from Labyrinth Lord? I don't know. I started going through forums and searching for new editions, new clones. Like I met Sword and Wizardry, uh, White Box, Complete, and stuff. And I heard some people talking about DCC, how it harkens back to Appendix N, and remakes D and D, what it. D&D could have been if they were more faithful faithful to Appendix N. Uh, because most of the OSR clones, they they don't uh, try to reinterpret the, the fiction that D&D was based on. They reinterpret D&D by itself. And what attracted me uh, to DCC was, well, we, we sure acknowledge the influence that Dungeons & Dragons have, but want to go further back, want to go to the sources of the fiction that influenced D&D, you're going to make a new game, uh, take advantage of 40 years of the hobby development, but we are going to reinterpret all the fiction to make it fantasy fantastic again. I love that DCC doesn't use like orcs, goblins, and like the, these standard uh, fantasy tropes that we, we already know so much in D&D. They they use new monsters, new places. They they don't try to separate what is science fiction from fantasy from horror. They just mix it up together. They don't try to differentiate this kind of stuff. That it's I, I really like it. I think it's unique. It's different from yeah. What that I, is fascinating. I use it to play. I you you may know I'm a um, Lamentations of the Flame Princess guy. I, I like, love it too. When I yeah. Oh, it's 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 good too. I mean, have you played a lot? Not so much as, as Dungeons and Crow Classics, but yeah, I, I've played quite a few. I have a friend that's really like that's his favorite game. Like, the Lamentations, what for him? What DCC is for me? And you're and you're a um, member of the Judges Guild, right? You do a lot of organized play uh, down in Brazil. Oh yeah, yeah. I some people call me like the DCC ambassador to Brazil. <laughs> I, I really try to promote the game here. Like I, I, I go to conventions uh, wearing DCC shirts, DCC hats, like DCC bottoms and DCC belt buckles. And I talk about DCC to people. And well, people say that I, I'm the one who convinced uh, uh, Brazilian publishers to act to publish DCC because my, my passion about the game made them see that this could be a really good game to release here. Uh, I tried to, to get the license myself, but I didn't have a, like a, a publisher. And one of this, one of a friend of mine that has a publisher uh, saw this and saw how, how the game can can captivate the, the public that can, can make the the fans really part of the game and, and it's a it's really an ideal game for Brazil because usually when, when we translate a game in Brazil they release the core book and maybe one or two supplements or adventures but they never really release all the books that it's publishing in English and this is just perfect for Brazil because they don't have any supplements they have 
a core book and they have adventures. Yes, the adventures are great and I really like them, but they are, aren't really necessary to play the game. And if, if the community adopts the game, we can make our own stuff. We can make uh, Brazil. We have a Brazilian zine called Caveira Velha that me and my friends are producing. And there's another person producing another adventure for this scene in Brazil. So even if the publisher don't release any more adventures than they have uh, uh, promised to release through the crowdfunding, we can produce our own stuff. And, and yeah. that's a great thing about DCC. Yeah, that is that that is really cool. That is really cool. So you kind of had this sort of like bug to be producing your own material, like anyway, uh, is what yeah. I'm kind of hearing. You were kind of that was something that you wanted to be doing, and so you were actually pursuing a DCC license for Brazil. Yeah, yeah. I tried to license DCC, the core book, but I talked to Joseph Goodman and he said, well. You don't have anything published yet. Uh, we can try. Maybe you, you publish something small for us, like some sister neutral uh, book. And I said, yeah, well, I will see. Because I was really excited, and that was kind of a letdown. And I let it go, and some of... Actually, two, two friends of mine that have publishers tried to publish the CC, and one of them did, the other not, obviously. And... But yeah, well, I, I kind of think that every dungeon master goes to this, I want to publish something, and it wasn't DCC, but then because of the Warsaw, I decided to try to publish my own stuff, like my, I have the, I first I published the, the Brazilian DCC zine, and then I started thinking about uh, a game that I wanted to play that wasn't published, that was a and I created my own game, like Sharp Sword and Sinister Spells. So, so what was the need that you were feeling when you were thinking about Sharp Swords and Sinister Spells? What was it that you wanted to bring into the world that did not, that you didn't, you didn't have yet? Well, what was the inspiration there? Well, I, I really like it a lot of. I like a lot of games. I play a lot of games. I, do, I just don't play OSR. I play mainstream games like uh, the. Star Wars RPG from Fantasy Flight. I really like it. I play The One Ring, that's from Kubo 7. Uh, I played some uh, Fate RPG, Firefly, that's the Cortex Plus system. And I always saw things that I liked from many games, uh, but none of them had like all the things I liked. And I, I really like DCC, but I wanted something lighter to play a. Uh, Sword and Sorcerer game like inspired by Kono and Farfar Angry Mouse that was mine more quickly and you didn't have to prepare like I, I need a monster I don't have to go and build a stat block for the monster I can just think of a hit dice and a power and I can play it right away and seeing black hack, white hack and some more like really quick to play and quick to improvise games I thought, well, I can take some of this stuff as a as a basis for my game, and plug in all the stuff I like from other games, and because I I, I thought like black hack and white hack had really strong bases, but wasn't didn't have all the things like one like the chaotic magic, like some of the more narrative stuff that you guys saw on the on the podcast to talk about sharp swords, like the introduction of complications and some stuff that I gave the player the choice to choose how to trigger this in the in the story. So I thought, well, I, I want a game that that is simple to play, simple to prepare. You can make a, a character very quickly. And uh, but also I want a game that gives both the referee and the and the players uh, tools to build in stories, like to generate stories automatically. Like the the referee doesn't need to stop and think about an adventure scene that he wants to place in the game to create an access story. Like the game itself needs to provide some tools to generate story seeds automatically, like the complications or, or tables to generate stuff. Like you, you go to a city and, and you do some drinking and you lose money. So what happened to your money? Did 
did uh, like a old driver who appeared and stole your stuff? Did someone trying to connect a debt you had to them? What is this debt? What is who is this rival? Like I wanted a game that was had the simplicity, but it was also the potential to create like a lasting campaign. Like I want, I wanted it to be simple, but I wanted it to to support long term campaigns. I want a game that you just play a one shot game and it's over. And but I wanted a game that could provide this these tools to generate stuff uh, improvising and didn't have to make the game master like prepare too much material so how have you been running um uh ss and ss uh campaigns then down there like have you run one that's really long term yeah well i've been running uh urban crawl campaign here in brazil uh using Tables from like uh, Vornheim, from the RuneQuest City books, from the Addendum, the Sharp Students and Spells book that I just released, and the Adventure Generator that it's in the book, and 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 then the players' input, like they, I I gave them some uh, number of contacts, so they want something, they they say, oh, okay, I'm gonna talk to this contact. And when they, they ask for favors, I generate like a job. And, and so he gives the favors, but he asks for a, a task. Okay, I, I can tell you who has the, the information about the, the mask of the princess serpent, but you have to find this guy for me that owes me money. And I try to build stuff. As, people, as things are happening, I try to build up on the, what's happening and who... Who they wronged and that now wants to want some revenge? Who ha they have helped? Who they asked for help and now wants something back? I try to construct things like that. So, well, it's not really a really a long campaign, but we've played like five or six adventures and they. Oh wow! So you've had multiple adventures within the campaign, but that's more than just sessions. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. So it is kind. Of, it is holding up for long-term campaign play. Yes, yes, yes. Good, good. I mean, that's one of the things that we noted with the um, when we were looking at it was like how how brutal the um, experience points were, and we were like, "Holy shit!" You're just like it's gonna take a long time to level up. Yeah, but that's cool. Yeah. You know, it's, it's cool to to nurture your character through something. Yeah, yeah right? and sharp swords and sinister spells characters are. Are a bit tougher than normal DnZ characters. Like they, they can take a little more punishment than than like a first level fighter in OGNZ or some stuff like that. And, and you made it that way to support the narrative element, so you could take a character through a lot of different stuff without worrying about losing them. Yeah, well, you still have to worry about losing them, but uh, sword and sorcerer characters are usually more competent than just murder hobos trying to get a score <laughs> in their lives, right? I mean, even even when they're starting, like the characters from the fiction are are quite competent and that's what I wanted to to represent in Shop Sword, but they still have the the chance of losing them and the the risk the risk and re reward equation on the OSR is a really strong element of the the gameplay, right? You have to have this risk of losing the character, or I don't know. It feels like cheap. Like if there is no risk, risk there is no real reward, right? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that's one of my main problems with uh, Fifth Edition Dungeons and Dragons. I don't know if you've heard me talking about this, but I feel like those characters are practically godlike. It's very difficult to kill a character in Five E. They're incredibly resilient. Did you play and that's Fourth one of the Edition? Fourth edition was oh, worse. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I played fourth edition for like a year, but like you were saying, it wasn't even really like a. It wasn't like a role playing game. It was basically like a very very elaborate board game that has some kind of like role role playing elements inside of it. You know. Yeah, but it was, it was a good yeah, good was, board game. I mean, my favorite adventures for for fourth edition were like the like some delves that was like you you had punctuations like. If you kill everybody, you gain several points. If you open all the doors, you get that, that, that amount of points. 
if you doing less than an hour you get that amount of points like for a board game it was really fun for an rpg not so much <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, because I did play it for like a year or maybe more, and um, the people who I played it with, uh, I made really good friends with, and uh, it, it did what a role-playing game yeah. is supposed to do, which it brought us all together around the table, and we all laughed, and we had a great time, and the guy who ran it did a really good job with it, and he was running these modules that he had found somewhere, so they weren't the Wizards modules, they were, like, they were third parties somehow. Yeah, they had, I mean, they were fun. They had DCC modules for, for Fredition too. Yeah, right. Um, but but the sort of the failure of fourth edition to really kind of like ignite that feeling of role playing is what gave birth to the OSR. Yeah. That's why we essentially got the OSR because you were looking for something different. I was looking for something different. We were all trying to find something else out there. Yeah. You know. Um, well, tell me about uh why you chose to go with sword and sorcery as the sort of like foundation of sharp swords and sinister spells and not a more classic high fantasy well uh with dungeon crawl classics i started reading the appendix and fiction and i started with conan for fighting gray mauser uh, eric and this kind of fiction like clark ashton smith and i really like it and, and reading the older editions of D&D, &D, I really liked it that before, like, before second edition, they really didn't talk about heroes. They all said adventurers. The adventurers mm, were... That's interesting. Yeah, the adventurers... I like that. ...were more about uh, personal ambitions, like, let's get some treasure, let's get some magic items, let's get powerful, let's get fame, glory, gold... And that kind of was lost on, uh, after second edition. It was always about saving things, saving people, being heroes, and stuff like that. And and Conan isn't a hero. He he may actually save some people, but it's like a consequence what what he was trying to do. Uh, yeah, he's he's actually looking for himself, like Farfather and Grey Mouser, which which I really really like. I, I discovered through DCC and. It's it's really fun. It's exciting. It's adventure and and it's funny too. Uh, they they are rogues. <laughs> they are trying to get the next big score and trying to get the next uh, lady they they want. And I decided that I wanted a game that was more like uh, personal. People can identify more with a guy that wants something for themselves and. Someone that wants to save a, a village from goblins for no reason besides be, wanting to be good. <laughs> I don't know. And I really like how Sword and Sorcery made uh, monster more special because most of the enemies aren't aren't monsters. They are people. So other other men and women. So when something strange and and a creature appears, it's it has more, more impact than when um, normal fantasy, like, oh, orcs again, oh, a dragon. It's, 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 it, I don't think it's supposed to be common, but it, it, it is common. Do you know, do you get it? I, I, it feels, yeah, no, I, feels mundane. I see exactly what you're saying. There's this, there's this, there's a kind of strange feeling that sort of sets in, 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 in sort of, I guess, what you might call it, like traditional fantasy now, where, um, weirdness is sort of banal yeah like it's just it's it's so prevalent that everything it just all kind of fades into the background especially now that like the number of like playable races has just kind of uh has, has, has continued to escalate yeah. and escalate and now it's like you can't form a party unless it's like oh we got a tiefling we got a dragonborn we got some other weird thing and then you'll have like one dude who's like oh i'm a human yeah, it, and that guy it, he seems like a weirdo because yeah. he's the human you know it seems like there is no humans anymore like everybody's something weird and, and special and different yeah. and yeah and because there's so much special weird differentness then that's very ordinary yeah. and very banal yeah and I and I, I I like the sword and sorcery feel, like you were saying that like the moral challenges and the philosophical challenges that you encounter come from other human beings. Yeah. 
You know, you might you encounter um, uh, groups of people who are aligned against you because they have different religions or they have different political systems or different like strange philosophies. And then, just like you were saying, and that kind of goes back to I mean, I'm gonna cite James Reggie for this because James Reggie is really influenced how I look at this. But yeah, he he's responsible for me making sharp swords too because. I don't know if you read this article from him, like, I Hate Fun. Have you read that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've read I Hate yeah. Fun, for sure. And he has this saying, like, I hate fun. I hate just consuming entertainment. I want to do to make something. And that's when I thought, I have to make something, too. I, I'm going to make my own game. And that, yeah. that article really influenced me. Like, I have to make stuff. I, I just can't just consume, consume, consume. I have to, to give something back, too. Like, that's my ideas. That's how I'm sharing them. And... And Sharp Swords is an open game license. Like if anyone wants to produce something for it, they can just take the game and try to do something on their own too. Oh, that is great. Would they um, need to contact you to put the logo on it? Well, yeah. Or if, how, if they want a logo, I have a compa- compatibility logo. But if they don't just want to use the system and produce their own stuff, they're free to do it. But if they want Wonderful. their logo, they just talk to me and I, I, I read the document and I send them the logo too. Oh, that is great. That is awesome. Uh, did you hear that guys? If you wanna do if you wanna if you wanna get some to license, just just hit him up. Hit 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 yo go up. Because you're very easy to find around the internet. I mean like 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 you were saying, you're on G plus. Uh, I've really been letting G Plus go. It's only just—I mean, I've—I've I've known for years that it's the place to be. That, every, that all the role playing is going on on there. But I've only just very recently really, even tried to be on it. It's really all about. I mean, I know the OSR is heavily there, but do like story gamers just gather around there too? Like main mainstream gamers gather there too? I—I I don't know. Is this like for every every like tribe of role playing gamers? gather there or just the osr i don't know <laughs> i i think that um my my understanding is is that uh with because of the google hangouts technology people were people were, it's really easy to run games with people all over the place on there and that's why this kind of um defunct social media network that never really took off <laughs> is very very popular with gamers yeah. <laughs> um so why did you choose to pursue OSR gaming as opposed to story gaming if story gaming is so popular and prevalent in in the area that is around you? Well, because I really like the this philosophy of challenging the players. Like on story games, like the challenge is to tell a good story, like everybody work together. But I, I, I kinda like that that philosophy like um, playing a video game on nightmare mode you know like this is a challenge guys like it has this i mean on story game it's it's not like a a game like someone's trying to win something like i like the OSR because people are really trying to win it it has this kind of gm versus player mentality but not really you know um, of course, if a GM wants to kill everybody, he can kill everybody with no effort at all. But I like the 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 challenges and like the story. It's not like the main goal of the game. It's like a consequence. I just play and see what happens. And the story game for me is like the the other way around. Like we we want to tell a story like this because story games are, are really focused. Like this game is about stories where. Uh, someone dies of something and all the rules are trying to tell that story and the game serves the, the story and OSR game is like the opposite this is the game the game functions like this is, this is the setting their story is just a consequence of playing the game not the, the focus not, not the, the goal of the game and I don't know wow. I like that I hadn't really thought of it like that that is that is really interesting. That is something to mull over. That is something to think about right there. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, because of uh, people on the story games like uh, Tribe here doesn't really like the OSR. So I try to rationalize and try to explain. They, they say that D&D isn't a wrong playing game because it's not telling a story 
and I tried, well, it's a different game because we, like from the from a story game, you 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 play as a narrator, like you, you still have a character, but you try to to play the game from the outside to inside, like you tell the story, and you act like some like an author. And when you play like a traditional game, like a OSR game, you play you play as a character. You play from inside the story to out, and not the. Do, do, do you understand the analogy I'm trying to make? Like, story game from the outside to to the inside of the story, and like a OSR game tries to go from inside to outside. That is fascinating. Did you develop that 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 way of explaining it? Yeah, I think so. Oh, I never you- read it. You heard it here first, guys. That should be on a blog somewhere. That is that's that's a fascinating insight. I had not I had not ever thought of it that way, and that is a fascinating way to look at the dichotomy between uh, story gaming and OSR gaming. Which is it's 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 strange because the OSR world and the story game world seem to exist in parallel. Yeah, but there's no and they have a lot in common. They have a lot but in They don't common, cross yeah. over. But they right they try to do it from different angles, I guess. That is fascinating. So, <clears throat> why don't you tell us about what what it took to kind of get into making your own game? Like, what was that process like? I mean, oh, tell, you know, I, I I think I think what you were kind of talking about earlier about how there's just sort of in in gaming there's this low barrier of entry for fans to become producers yeah. to become creatives. So at least now there is. Yeah, no. Ten years ago, twenty years ago, that was different. But now that barriers come way down. So I think there's probably a lot of people who listen to this show who probably ha- think about that kind of thing. Why don't you talk to us about it? Tell us what your experience was like. Yeah, uh, a few years ago, uh, I started seeing like the print on demand books. Like, you don't really have to go to a printing company and order like 500 books and invest a lot of money to, to make your stuff. Like now everybody can, can, you can even make a book on Microsoft Word or Google Docs and you put it on a website like RPG Now and Drive RPG. That's an advantage that we don't have in Brazil. Like uh, when you publish outside, like it's international. Everybody put their games there. So if you put your game on Drive or RPG Now, a lot of people is going to see. Like here in Brazil, we don't have like a unique site that that unifies all the publishers. And it's really it's. I, I release my games first in English and, and then in Portuguese because it's a lot easier to publish outside of Brazil. And I decided that I wanted to make something. I wanted to to make my vision available for other gamers to see because I. I like people ask me, Diogo, do you really do you have a goal of putting your name on all uh, OSR games that go to Kickstarter? Because I, I back everything. I want to see ev- every everyone's interpretation of the original game. Like I have, I don't know, five white box clones. I have Labyrinth Lord, and I, I have, I don't know, any ga- any OSR game. I, I try to buy it and see what the author was thinking. How how is his interpretation? What modification did did he make to the game? And I wanted to show my own stuff, my own thoughts on it. And back in, I think, 2013, I started writing a game called uh, Bruxos e Barbaros, which would be, would be translated as Warlocks and Barbarians. It was my first sword and sorcery game, but it was really influenced by AD&D First Edition, and it was really like a heavy game, like... It had like 300 pages of pure text and did only cover like five first levels. And I realized I was never going to publish that game because I wanted to make it like this is RPG. I wanted to have heavy illustrations, illustrations on all the pages and really well done. And I thought it's going to be impossible. I draw too. And I wanted, me and my friend was, were going to draw it, but it would take years to illustrate everything. And, and, and I put it aside. And I started seeing more simple games, like more nar- narrative or more like uh, minimalist games. And I, I like black hack and white hack, and I, and I started experimenting with them and mixing up stuff that I wanted in the game, like the complications, the magic that was more chaotic and not like Vention, like you, you memorize and you fire the spell and you lose it. I, want, I wanted something like DCC, but not so crunchy as DCC. 
like not one table for all spells and I started looking at the other games and started to putting something together and like one year a friend of mine um, last year in 2016 a friend of mine contacted uh, David Black from Black Hack and he translated the Black Hack to Portuguese and like on a frenzied month I said well I'm gonna make my game with Black Hack and and DCC and Beyond the Wall and Kofkutulan and I mixed a lot of games and like in one month I had this the game was ready and I released it in a month yeah wow like wow you crushed that thing out yeah I, I took a vacation and I cracked it up in one month and published it and that was it I, I, I saw that I could publish things if I if I focus on trying to do small bits at a time like uh, for Sharp Swords, I, I published the core book, like, really quickly, and then I started developing the addendum, which is like a, a book with more, some optional rules, and a lot of tools to generate stuff and uh, help the referee and the players to create story elements and things to use in the game. And I want to produce the, the setting, too, like, inspired by setting toolkits like Yonswin and Hubris, and Vornheim, I want to make a setting that is usable on the table. And I realized that all I was really doing was publishing my Warlocks and Barbarians open game, but with a more streamlined system, a modern system, and bits at a time. Because that game would have all the setting information, things like that. And I, I, I divided it in, in small books that I could uh, reasonably accomplish to publish. Because trying to publish like a 300 book, it's, it's really tough. And But putting like 3, 64, 80, 100 book at a time, that's that's more feasible. Wow, that's fascinating when you put it like that, man. Um, and you and you do a very, like you said, you draw and you do a very like heavy amount of the drawing inside of the books, right? Like, yeah. like how do you divide those duties with others? Well, uh, for the Sharp Sword and Sensor Spell, the core book, uh, I used a lot of uh, public domain images that were released by Craven Crawford. I don't know if you know about him, like the Silent Legion books, like uh, Scarlet Heroes. Uh, he, he just finished a Kickstarter for the revised edition of Stars Out Numbers. And w one of the great things he do is like the artwork that he pays uh, people to do uh, depending on the amount of the Kickstarter, he he releases them on public domain. So I used a lot of those illustrations, and I I made some more, and some of my friends contrib contributed some some illustrations. But I said, well, I, I I didn't ask anyone for for art because I couldn't pay anyone. I didn't. I wasn't making any money with it, and I planned to sell it on on. With Paywatch One, so I didn't know if I would ever make any money out of it. So I didn't ask anyone, but people started looking for me, like, oh, I want to contribute, I want to make something. And some of them gave me some images, and but I, I made, I made mo most of the the full page images and some of the small small detailed images on that. Uh, but on a, the second book, the Sharp Sword and Sinister Spells Addendum. I I already had some money because the the first book sold something and I started buying stock art, producing some of the some of my images and some friends donated some some artwork uh, artwork too. And for the for the future books, I plan on trying to commission some artists to help produce wow. stuff. That is cool. It's really cool how it kind of like snowballed, huh? Yeah, it's well because. Uh, once you have like more products, you start selling. Even if you sell just one here, one there, if you have more books, you're selling one here and there on both books, and that that's help starting generating more money to pay more stuff, and that's it, I guess. So, is word getting out on Sharp Swords and Sinister Spells? Are people are people are are people playing it? Like, where are people playing it? Well, uh, sometimes I, I do like a Google search to see what people are talking about so, or search on Google Plus to see if people are playing it. And I, I found that uh, 
a friend of mine, Jeff Golds, uh, 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 GM'd a, a table of Shapsud and Sinister Spells over Gary Cohn. Uh, I found some people on another convention playing Sharp Swords too, and well, the, the Google Plus community has like 150 people, and people start asking questions, and they're playing the game, and pe word is starting to get out. Now that now that I started a, a English blog, and I, I post what I'm doing and what I'm developing for future books, people are starting to pay more attention to that, and more people are starting to buy more books like I after I started the English plug I, I've noticed that uh, the more people are, are noticing the game and, and getting the books and, and talking about it and it really helped I, I don't know if you know about the I, I shared some uh, information about two books that really helped me creativity and it's helping me to promote the game and show what I'm doing that the Still like an artist and show your work by Al Sinclair, and it, it really but talks about that. Like they're both, but they're both by the same person. Yeah, Al Sinclair. Okay. Yeah, and he really talks about like show your work, like share what you're doing, show your process, and people will start uh, looking what what your development and trying to to see what what is all about, right? Yeah. And that I'll uh, put links to the sh to those on Amazon in the show yeah. notes. So if you guys want to take a look, because I actually have Steel like an artist, but I don't have the second one, and that one's worth getting. Yeah, uh, well, I think it is, but uh, it stimulated me to to stop being shy about trying to show what I'm doing, and it really make me made me realize that if I want to to be able to like pay for artists. I have to put my work out there and try to make people notice it so I can make more money and pay for more art. Right? That's awesome. That is awesome. And that's something um, James Rogers told you. Like, I, I watched an interview with, with, uh, with him made by Matt Finch. You know, like the, mm -hmm. the, he has a new channel now, the Uncle's Matt D&D channel. And James said that. If you want to produce role-playing games, you cannot be shy about selling. You have to go there and say, hey, here's my stuff, buy my stuff. You can't like just stay in the corner hoping someone will notice you. You have to put yourself out there, I guess. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. He's such a big personality. Yeah. And um, I was kind of bashful about meeting him at Gen Con, and I met him, and he was like super easy to get along with, super cool, very approachable. Um, he was, I, I met so many great people at Gen Con. I think that, like, what's great about our community, about the gaming community, is that developers are just like so humble. They're such cool guys, yeah. so easy to get along with, and they, and they, they just want to talk to you about their game, yeah. you know? Yeah, I met I met really great people there. Uh, well, the DCC crew like Joseph, uh, Harley Stroh, Michael Curtis, uh, Doug Kovacs, who's kind of crazy and he's he's like super cool and super jerk at the same time. I <laughs> I don't know, but he, he he's he's really funny. And I met Jeff Combos from Hung Earth Expedition, which was really super cool. I met people from Burning Wheel. They were really nice too. I, I I'm I didn't really talk too much with James Raji because uh, I don't know. My, I had this impression like he was too metal for me. I don't know. I really liked the stuff, but I don't. <laughs> I didn't really talk too much with him because well, we didn't have any any contact before. Like I I talked to Jeff Combos on over Facebook with Joseph and. And the DCC crew on Google Plus and stuff, and I I, I made great friend I made great I made great fans on, on Gen Con. I uh, I want to go back like every year because I want to meet all those people again. I want, I want to talk to them. I want to game to them. I want to drink some beers with them. It's yeah, it's the best part. Like next year I I, I will go again. I probably won't have m too much money to buy stuff, but. I want I want to go mainly to to see everybody again to play to to be part of that that great event like this great party of 
tabletop gaming and to promote to promote get word yeah, out yeah man. yeah you gotta get word out about your stuff I'll, I'll, um, I'll see if i can release my next book to uh, to the next gen con i don't know i'm gonna try <laughs> because the addendum is out right the yeah. addendum is available and uh what's next what comes after that what what, yes. what do you have planned Both for the, uh 20, okay cool well um i'm i'm writing uh fun a science fantasy uh border game for sharp sword and sensor spells called solar blades and cosmic spells that's it's like imagine sword and sorcery in space like it's not like uh normal science science fiction it's like sort of it's post-apocalyptic sword and sorcery amongst the stars like Imagine Dark Sun meets Star Wars. Like instead of sorcery kings, you have like this galactic overlords that rule sectors of the galaxy. They were also under the, the guidance of like a a really tyrannic tyrannic figure and they they turned against him like in a cleansing wars and technologies like magic it's where uh, instead of laser guns, people have like shotguns and rifles and, and pistols. You can find a laser gun, but it's like super hair, rare and you have to quest for it. And there is sorcery, like this, this guy actually overlords, they really use like spells from the void and things like that. It's like a more dark and, and corrupt science fiction, I guess, with... Yeah, that sounds amazing. Sword and sword. That sounds like really, really exciting. Metal and things like that, ruins and destroyed planets, and I don't know. I, I wanted to make a sword and sorcery game, but in the stars. <laughs> yeah, that sounds really unique. I, I'm looking forward to that quite a bit. Uh, when do you think that'll be available? Uh, I hope I can finish the writing by the end of the year, like top, uh, maybe early January. And then I, I will try to, I will probably try to make a crowdfunding campaign to pay for art, for more for artists instead of using just uh, stock art and my stuff. I I have some artists that I really want to to be part of the project, like to make really just great artwork. That I one of the things I love about DCC is the artwork. So that's my role model. You see, and I, I want to make books that look as good as Dungeon Crow Classics and I, I want to hire artists to, to make that happen and but but I, I will do like the Kevin, Kevin Crawford campaigns like uh, I will have all the text ready so if people would back it they would have a, a access to the game that game is already written it's all there in text and but I, I, I want to get the money to buy, to pay for artists and for editing and proofreading too. Uh, so it would be like maybe really a short goal, but as we, as we reach more stretch goals, I'll buy more artwork. That, that's basically what I, I'm going to try to do. If it doesn't work, I will just release it with stock art and my own artwork. But I hope I can get some really cool images and illustrations for it well i have high hopes for that and uh when you're ready to do that make sure you let us know so that we can promote it on the on the page we can really let people know that it's out there you know when when the yeah. campaign goes live that, that's awesome yeah i would do that i can't awesome i can't do kickstarter from brazil because brazil doesn't have the kickstart stuff here but i can do Go. it's Oh, okay. Not as famous sure. as Kickstarter, but that's what I can do. And yeah, yeah. And it would be modeled by Craven Crawford. Like, I want uh, people will get the PDF or the print on demand coupon. So you don't have all the hustle to send the books through mail. They'll get the coupon and right. they will print whenever they want. So it's more like a guaranteed delivery. <laughs> Wonderful, wonderful. Now, um, where can people go to find your material now? The stuff that's out, because Sharp Swords and Sinister Spells is out. The uh, addendum is out. out. Well, uh, where can they go? You can go for PDFs. The the only place that you can get it is on RPG now or Drive Through RPG. You just look for Sharp Swords and Sinister Spells. They 
doing it right into it. Uh, it's for old school publishing, old school publishing. And mm -hmm. for print options, you can either get it on RPG Now. It's it's pay what on RPG Now. It's pay what you want, no matter what. It's, you can get the PDF and the print version as pay what you want. But wow. there is the Lulu version, which is paid. But the Lulu version has a higher quality, in my opinion. Like they have a thicker paper. It's like this cream cream colored paper, so it looks looks better. They have deeper blacks. And in the books on Lulu are stapled, which uh, it's more resistant than the glue, uh, glued ones on RPG Now and Drive Through RPG. So you have that option. You can pay what you want on Drive Through RPG and RPG Now, or pay nine or twelve dollars on Lulu. But Lulu always have these free, free, free shipping coupons and fifteen, twenty percent off coupons. So I really think it's like you pay about the same if you buy on RPG Now or Lulu because RPG Now have to pay shipping. So it's like... Yeah, RPG Now has really steep shipping. And uh, like you were saying, Lulu has a deal pretty much every single week. And yeah. it's always a little bit different what the deal is, but you can always find a deal. And yeah. There's always a coupon code. I and so... Um, Let's see. You're on Instagram, and what are you on on Instagram? I'm on Diogo underline Nogueira. <laughs> we probably have to to spell it out on, on the notes because <laughs> if if you follow Full Metal RPG on Instagram, I'm you can find him through through me because I follow I follow you and you follow me. Easy yeah. to find. Um, and you're on Facebook, yeah, right? As Diogo Nogueira and, too, and on Google Plus as Diogo Nogueira too. Uh, on Google Wonderful. Plus, we have a Sharp Swords and Sensor Spell uh, group community over there too. We mm -hmm. I share some of the stuff that I'm developing, and people talk about their their gaming experience and impressions, and and ask questions about the game. And yeah, that's an active community too. Because when we reviewed um, Sharp Swords and Sinister Spells when it very first came out. Uh, we got like a lot of listens because somebody somebody posted it on there. I don't think it was you. I think it was somebody else, right? And and we got a lot of listens just because people were interested on that group. Yeah, uh, people from Brazil too, because I I, I posted on Brazil. Hey, hey, my game is it's getting attention out there, and and, and even though uh, so, uh, OSR games ain't ain't so big here in Brazil. They they really like the idea of a Brazilian game getting some attention on the on outside. Like they they re they're really excited about uh, my game having the the Electrum uh, bestseller badge on Drive Through RPG because not many yeah. not many people in Brazil they they produce games here but they don't release it out there so people don't know what we're doing. So if one of one of us is producing putting things out there and calling attention to the games here they 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 kind of like it too <laughs> so sure sure and that was really exciting to see that you got that like uh uh real quick too huh well you you've been you've been up in that in that number a couple times huh yeah well it's been like an year so yeah for for That's me it's exciting, great man. yeah yeah well, Diogo, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with us today. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I, I really I really like to talk about gaming and and the stuff I do or what stuff that I like. I, thanks, thanks a lot for the invite. I, I'm really honored to be here. Oh, dude, we're honored to have you. And, uh, you know, of course, now that we have this all set up, we'll have to do this again. Oh, sure. We can talk about anything else. Like, I don't know, about DCC, about Lamentations or... I don't know. <laughs> Excellent, man. Excellent. I look forward to it. Me too. Right on, man. Thank you very much. Thank you a lot, Brandon. want to thank Yogo one more time for being on the show. It was really great having him, and I think that the insights that he had in this episode were particularly acute. Uh, do check out the show notes. There's a ton of stuff down there, uh, how you can interact with Yogo. Um, you can check out some of the materials that he referenced in the episode. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, have a great night. We've got more episodes coming up soon. We've got interview with Avenger Satanus. 
Then we'll be following that up with an interview with Christopher Gray. Then next week I have scheduled uh, a meeting with my, my good buddy Jamie from Calcium Rex. So he'll be on as well. All that's coming soon in addition to a December episode with all your favorite cast characters. All right, great. Thanks again for listening. Have a good night. <laughs>